Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please? I'm going to have you open to two different places where we're going to spend almost all of our time. Put your finger in Romans chapter 12, and then mark also 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Just put a marker in there somewhere. Last Sunday, I was sick, didn't have a chance to be with you. Pastor Dale preached last Sunday, and thank the Lord for Pastor Dale, I had one of my good friends in the church here on last Sunday afternoon uh, sent me a text knowing that I was sick and said, I believe that God smote you this morning so that you couldn't preach because we really needed to hear what Pastor Dale had to say. So praise God for you, Pastor Dale. (laughs) What I want to do this morning is we're going to pick up where we have been in our study of the 12th chapter of Romans here. We've been talking the last two times that I preached, we talked about the gift of prophecy from Romans 12, verse 6, and we're going to continue that this morning and bring that part of our study here of this letter to a conclusion there. And the reason we have spent a few weeks on this one verse related to the gift of prophecy, because it is a potentially divisive uh, topic, topic of controversy, and a topic that's not understood well, and so I cannot just kind of open a can of worms and walk away from it. I need to make sure that we unpack it and try to see what Scripture says about it so that it's understandable and so that we can know how to apply it. So that's what we're doing here. The last two messages related to this verse, we talked about what the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy is. Just really simply, it is an immediate revelation given by God to an individual with that gift for the purpose of them sharing or speaking out what God has impressed upon their hearts for the benefit or the upbuilding of those that that person shares with. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through this. And then last Sunday, we really hit on an issue where there's a divide in the church. There is a segment of the Christian church that believes that the gifts of prophecy and other miraculous gifts of the Spirit ended with the early church in the first few centuries, that with the apostles and more specifically with the conclusion of the writing of the New Testament and its canonization, its identification as the books that we have in the New Testament, that there's the belief that prophecies and other miraculous gifts of the Spirit ceased to exist, no longer being needed, because we have in the Word of God a perfect truth from God so that those gifts ended. I gave you my interpretation of that, not believing that that is the case. I'm with those that believe that the gifts of the Spirit are still 
in operation today, still given out by the Spirit of God today as He chooses. But what I've realized in the study the last few weeks, three or four weeks on this subject, and I just want to mention this this morning, is that much of the controversy here is really a semantic issue. It's really centers on how you define this word prophecy. What is specifically meant by that word. For example, those that believe that the gift of prophecy is no longer available or given by the Spirit, this is not going to be a technical, perfect definition, but the idea of their understanding of the gift of prophecy goes something something like this, that it is a revelation from God given to the individual in such a way superintended by the Spirit so that they speak that prophecy out in a perfect way. They speak out the very words of God, doing so inerrantly, perfectly, like the true prophets of the Old Testament that authored the Old Testament scriptures that we have, like the apostles of the New Testament that authored the New Testament scriptures that we have, those scriptures that are inerrant, they were written down perfectly by the superintendence of the Spirit so that what was written was actually the words of God communicated by those authors without error. God made sure that it was communicated inerrantly. Now, if that's the gift of prophecy or the definition that is being used, then I will say, absolutely, I believe that has ended. I do not believe that there is anyone today that is speaking an inerrant word from God. There is no one speaking with the authority of the true prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles of the New. The book is closed. It's closed, meaning it's no longer being written. There's no other authoritative voice like that. And secondly, it's complete meaning that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through what he has written in the truth of this book right here. It's closed and it's complete. I absolutely believe that. Did you hear me there? I absolutely believe that. I don't believe anyone today is operating in that type of a gifting with that type of authority. What I do believe is that there is a gift of the Spirit that is lesser than the office of the prophet of the Old Testament or the office and gifting of the apostle of the New Testament. That there is a gift of prophecy 
that does not speak in an errant, infallible word, but is in a revelation that comes from God, an immediate revelation that is given by the Spirit of God, communicating to those that He chooses to give that gift to and bring those revelations to that are something beyond what they would normally know. And the purpose for that, and we'll look at this more as we go through the message this morning, but the purpose is to build others up in the faith. So there are those, I want to give you two statements here. There are those that are deeply devoted followers of Jesus Christ that do not believe that this gift of prophecy is still functioning today. They're called cessationists, that that gift has ceased or those gifts have ceased. There are those that are deeply committed followers of Christ that are cessationists that hold that that conviction passionately and they do so out of a deep commitment to the Word of God. Did you hear that? There are those that do not believe that the gift of prophecy and other miraculous gifts function today and they hold those gifts passionately out of a deep commitment to the Word of God. And they love God. They love the truth. And then, secondly, there are those, I am in this second camp, that believe that prophecy is still and other miraculous gifts of the Spirit are still gifts that the Spirit gives out today and can be used in the church today. And I hold that with deep conviction because I love the Word of God. The same sense of this being the divinely inerrant, inspired Word of God, I hold it in highest authority in my life and in my preaching. The issue is related to the definition there and the difference, I believe, in how you define prophecy. I'm going to give you a little example from history and then we'll kind of jump into the meat of what I want to talk to you about this morning just to show you that the confusion here or the division is not is not new and to show you that it is related to how this word is defined i'm just going to use one example i could give you several uh, that i studied over the last few weeks example i want to give you is from charles spurgeon charles spurgeon was probably the greatest preacher of the 19th century man highly gifted of the Lord. And he, like many other of the great men of God of his day, were cessationists, as many are today, meaning they didn't believe that those gifts continue. And yet in practice, as I look at Spurgeon's life and listen to Spurgeon or read Spurgeon's messages, I would say that Spurgeon operated in the gift of preaching. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples show you that it's a semantic issue here. Here's Spurgeon's own writings, talking about him preaching in his church. He had about 5,000 people that would come every week to hear him preach over many, many decades. 
While preaching in the hall on one occasion, I deliberately pointed to a man in the midst of the crowd and said, there is a man sitting there who is a shoemaker. He keeps his shop open on Sundays. It was open last Sabbath morning, and he took nine pence, and there was four pence profit out of it. His soul is sold to Satan for four pence. This is a man he didn't know. In the midst of a message, he just spoke out what he believed the Spirit was prompting him to speak, and then he went on with his message. Several weeks later, a missionary in London, a city missionary there, was traveling around, and he came by the shoemaker's shop, and he went in to visit to witness to him, and he saw that he was reading a message from Mr. Spurgeon, and he said, oh, you know Mr. Spurgeon? And he said, yes, I've been to hear him. I have good reason to know him. Do you want me to tell you why? And so he launched into the story of the first time that he attended Mr. Spurgeon's church. He told about Mr. Spurgeon preaching and pointing out uh, to him and explaining that he had taken in nine pence on a Sunday and made four pence profit and said that is exactly the case. He was accurate in what he said. Then he said, it struck me that it was God who had spoken to my soul through him. And so he shut up his shop, determined to go the next Sunday. At first he writes, listen, I was afraid to go and hear him again lest he tell the people more about me. But afterwards I went And the Lord met me and saved my soul. Spurgeon goes on to write that I could tell you of as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed to someone in the hall without the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent of God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. And then he writes this about an evaluation of the Spirit working in that way. And again, here's a man that would claim to be a cessationist, that these gifts had ceased. He writes, our personal pathway has been so frequently directed contrary to our own design and beyond our own conception by singularly powerful impulses and irresistibly suggestive providences that it, were, it would be wanton wickedness for us to deride the doctrine that God occasionally grants to His servants a special and perceptible manifestation of His will for their guidance that is over and above the strengthening energies of the Spirit and the sacred teachings of the inspired Word. What he's saying there is it would be very wrong for him to say that the Spirit of God does not work in such a way. He does. He just wouldn't call that prophecy. 
Now, I'm not trying to confine to you a definition of prophecy given by that one of history's noteworthy preachers of all time because that can seem very unreachable and unattainable. But the point I'm just making is that there are those that would claim to be cessationists that yet still believe that the Spirit of God leads and does supernatural things in supernatural ways and brings information and revelation to his people at times when he chooses to do so. And that he gives them that so that they can speak something into the life of someone else for their upbuilding. That's what I'm saying is the New Testament gift of prophecy. Now, I don't think this is a point of argument. Matter of fact, I won't argue with anybody about it. My intent here is to just do my best to faithfully communicate what I believe is the full counsel of the Word of God as I preach through the text. And so we've spent some time doing this, but listen, I do not claim inerrancy. Hear me there. I am not in the place of the Old Testament prophet speaking the very words of God. I'm not in the place of the New Testament apostle speaking the very words of God. Those were the authoritative words of God inherently delivered. The book is complete and the book is closed and we are working at properly understanding and interpreting and applying that truth to our lives. So I'm doing my best to do that. Now, if you come to a different conclusion, I am so okay with that. Did you guys hear me? I am so okay with you having a different opinion about these miraculous gifts of the Spirit and whether they're still alive and well in the church today. I'm okay with that. If you say no, I'm okay with that. I don't want to try to convince you. That's not my job. That would be me playing God. What I want to do is just do my best to communicate the truth as I believe it is communicated and let the Spirit of God do what the Spirit of God wants to do. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord, regardless of where you line up on this. And I I don't think we need to divide or separate because of it. But what we do need to do is seek to understand in a growing way, both me and you, a growing way what God says in His Word and how we are to live it out. Amen? Okay. So now what I want to do is I just want to, having talked the past two Sundays related to the past two weeks that I preached related to this gift of prophecy and then that reminder for today, what I want to do in the last part of this message here is just give you principles to govern the use of this gift of prophecy that I see in Scripture. And I'm not claiming that this is the exhaustive list of principles that should govern the use of the gift of prophecy. But they're going to be Several that are seen that I will show you directly from Scripture. A few of these we've touched on in the past. First of all, Romans chapter 12, verse 6. That's our text. This is the text from which we use as a point of departure over the last two weeks to go to 1 Corinthians and get a fuller understanding. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul writes, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, the first one he mentions here, if prophecy 
in proportion to our faith or use it in proportion to our faith. What can we draw out as truths or principles to govern the use of the gift of prophecy? First of all, look at the word faith. Use it in proportion to our faith. Here's a truth that we can draw out of that. The gift of prophecy is to be used in humble dependency. In humble dependency. You see, what faith does, the very nature of it, faith doesn't look to itself. It looks to God. It looks away from self and to Christ. So faith, using the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith, means that we are not looking to self, we're not promoting self, elevating self. We are looking away from self, centered on the person of Jesus Christ. It's a gift, like all of the gifts. That means it's not earned. You didn't merit it. You didn't do something good enough for a period of time so that the Spirit said, okay, now I'm going to give you the gift of prophecy or the gift of leadership or whatever gift that you have. It is a gift, and the gift is given by the grace of God. All gifts are. They're grace gifts. Therefore, use them, receive them humbly, and use them humbly, and use them in absolute dependency. If it's a gift of God's grace that He operates in you by His power, not your own, then when you use it in faith would mean that you are absolutely depending upon Him to do it and not yourself. And if it becomes you, then you've gotten out of sync with what God's wanting to do. Secondly, look at the word proportion and we'll draw out another truth that's to govern the use of the gift of prophecy. This word is use it in proportion to our faith. Let me give you a statement and then try to explain it for a moment. I think one way we could say that is to use it obediently. You might also want to say closely or carefully or cautiously or completely. I'm using the word obediently, to use the gift obediently. Here's what I mean. You use it in proportion to your faith. If it is a gift that God has given you and you're using it in faith, humbly depending upon God, that means that what He gives you, say that and only that. And say that and all of that. Let me do that again. Say that and only that. Say that and all of that. That's using it in proportion to the faith that he has given to you. Don't add to it. Don't take what he said and try to give the commentary on it. Just give it as you believe the Spirit of God is revealing it to you. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians, flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're just going to spend some time now in these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14. Look at some more principles that are to govern our use of the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Writing about spiritual gifts, Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each, meaning each believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
What are the gifts? They are manifestations of the Spirit. It is the way that the Spirit works in the life of the person that He is gifted to do His work through that person. It is a manifestation of the Spirit. The spiritual gift is. Let's take the gift of prophecy then. What is it that the Spirit of God is about doing? Jesus said this, the Spirit of God, when I send him, Jesus said, here's what he's going to do. He's going to, and he gave us kind of two overall truths, a lot of things, but two overall truths. He's going to glorify me, Jesus said, and he's going to testify to me. He's going to glorify Jesus, and he's going to testify to Jesus. So, let's apply that now. If a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Spirit, including the gift of prophecy. And what the Spirit is about doing here is testifying to the person of Jesus and glorifying Jesus that in some way the gift of prophecy, when it's used by the power of the Spirit, is going to be done in such a way that Jesus is glorified or Jesus is testified to. Now let me give you a little caveat there. That would either be done, A, by the words that were shared directly, or B, fruit that came, a result that came as a result of that prophecy that Jesus was glorified or Jesus was testified to as a result of or a fruit of that prophecy. And that may not always be seen. Certainly not always immediately. It's like the illustration that I gave you with Charles Spurgeon. What happened was that gentleman that he spoke to came to Christ and his life then began to glorify and testify to the person of Jesus Christ. It's an evidence that it was the work of the Spirit of God because that is what he is doing. So, maybe the contrast would help if something is said and it's claimed to be a prophecy and it does something opposite to glorifying Christ or testifying to the person of Christ, you can know absolutely for certain it is not an accurate use of the gift or a biblical use of the gift of prophecy. Let's look at some more verses and draw out another truth. Look down to verse 11 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read verse 11 and then down to verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul here, right before verse 11, he gives a partial list of spiritual gifts. And then he says this in verse 11. All these, all these gifts that I mentioned, are empowered by one and the same Spirit And listen, who apportions, the Spirit apportions to each one individually as He wills. Verse 29, Paul writes, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? He goes on in verse 30 with similar questions about other gifts. Here's the point. No, not everyone is an apostle or a prophet or a, has the gift of teaching or the gift of miracles or on and on. 
The point is, not anyone has every gift. The bigger point is, in the previous verse, the Spirit is sovereign in the dispensing of the gifts. It's as He wills, as He determines. Not as we will and we determine, we desire, we plead, we coerce. No, it's as He wills and as He desires, He's sovereign. Look at verse 2 of the 13th chapter. Verse 2 of the 13th chapter. Paul writes, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am what? I'm nothing. Let me give you the cliff notes on that verse just related to prophecy. Prophecy, even incredible prophetic statements without love are nothing. They're nothing. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Faith works through love. Faith works through love. Use your gifts in proportion to your faith. Faith works through love. If you have all prophetic understanding and have not love, you're nothing. Here's a great truth that should govern the use of the gift of prophecy and all other gifts it should be done in love. A prophecy should be spoken in love. It's not spoken in love. It's not coming from the Spirit. The Spirit is going to speak it in love. Look at chapter 14, verse 3. For another truth to govern our use of the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Paul writes, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Here is a truth about the gift of prophecy. It is to be done to build others up. It's to be done to build others up. It's not for self, self-grandizement. It's not for a sensational show. It's not to wow somebody. The purpose of it is to build others up. And then he kind of gives three different areas there. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation to build them up, help them grow in their faith and trust in Christ for their encouragement. It's to help pour courage into them to walk the Christian life faithfully for their consolation. It's to come to a person in a time of trial or duress or struggle and Comfort them in the midst of that. See, there's a wide variety of ways that the gift of prophecy could be used. But the point is that when it is used in the power and obedience to the Spirit, it's going to be used for the upbuilding of other people, for their encouragement, for their upbuilding, for their strengthening, for their convicting to bring them to Christ. Then look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29. And then we're going to look at one other place over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First of all, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. 
Paul writes, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Let the others weigh what a prophet says. And then look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Important verse about prophecies. Paul writes, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Both of these two passages in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21 tell us that prophecies should be tested. They should be weighed. They shouldn't be blindly accepted. Somebody claims to have a word from God that is to be heard with some amount of questioning or skepticism. It should be tested. It should be weighed. And once it's tested, if it's shown to be good, keep it. Hold on to it. If it's shown to be wrong, let go of it. Throw it away. Here's a a truth we can draw out of that. Prophecies, this gift of prophecy in the New Testament is fallible. It's not inerrant. It needs to be tested and weighed, evaluated. What is not right, thrown away. In other words, it's not all going to be right. But here's the second part of that. What is it to be tested with? It's to be tested with what is inerrant, with the Word of God, with what's already been communicated. Look at verses 36 to 38 of 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 36 to 38. What Paul is doing here, right before these verses, he is writing about rules that are to govern what takes place in the church. We're going to stick with this idea of prophecy. I'm not going to unpack what comes before these three verses here, but he's establishing rules that are to govern how the church functions, what the church does. And listen to what he says in verses 36 to 38. This is within the context of talking about the use of gifts, including prophecy or those with the gift of prophecy. And he writes, Or was it from you that the word of God came? The answer to that is, no, it wasn't. It wasn't from the Corinthians, even the Corinthian prophets, those with the gift of prophecy, that the Word of God came. Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. That's a significant statement there. Look at it again. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet, someone in that church claiming to have the gift of prophecy, that they should do this. They should acknowledge that what Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians 14, 
36 to 38 and the verses immediately preceding that sets out the rules and how things are to function in the church, they are to acknowledge that what Paul has written are commands of the Lord. They're inerrant. They're authoritative. They are superior to what the prophet is saying. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. You see that? This gift of New Testament prophecy is under the gift of Paul's apostolic function. It's not inerrant like what Paul wrote and what Paul said. That's the point he is making. He's saying that the New Testament gift of prophecy is not setting rules for how the church should function and be governed. They don't have the authority to do that. That's been written. That's been completed. And it's been closed. So it's a lesser gift. The point is that prophecies are to be tested because they're fallible. They need to be tested with the ultimate authority of the Scriptures. Here's an, here's an implication or application of that. If you have the gift of prophecy or you're beginning to understand that you do, again, this is not something sensational just like I'm talking about with what Spurgeon did in the middle of the sermons. I'm talking about the Lord giving you something that you didn't know. The Spirit puts it in your mind that He wants you to speak to a whether brother or sister in the Lord or even someone unsaved that is done in love, in humility, in dependency on the Spirit of God, making sure that you're not going beyond what He said or holding back what He said, but in love you share that truth that you believe the Spirit is placing on your heart. Don't ever do it like this. This is the word of the Lord to you. That's wrong. That's wrong because it's not inerrant. And the word of the Lord is what? It's inerrant. It's perfect. So this is some information or revelation from God, but it's not the word of God. It's coming through you and you're broken. You're fallible. So you say something like this. I believe what the Spirit of God would like me to share with you is this, or I'm sensing that God would have me say this to you. You need to check that. See a difference there? It's humble. It's in submission to the truth of the Word of God. This is the authority. Then look down verse 32 and 33 of chapter 14. Paul writes, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Truth is pretty obvious here, isn't it? That the spirit of the prophet is in the control of the prophet. 
When a prophet testifies, they are not carried away and unaware of what they're doing. They have control of their mind. They have control of their mouth. They can stop saying what they're saying, or they can say the wrong thing. They're not being carried along so that the very words they're saying are the words of God. they got to learn to listen. they got to develop that gift. they got to make sure that they stick with what has been revealed and don't go beyond it and don't hold back. Say what was said and only what was said or what was shown and only what was shown. And even then, understand that it is not infallible be open to even wanting it to be checked with the truth of the Word of God. Godly people. But the point is, it's in control. It's in order. It's in love. It's in humility. It's exalting of Christ. It's helping of others. It's not chaos here. And then, we've kind of been going sequentially, but now I want to jump up as we end to the first verse of the 14th chapter that we've mentioned the last two times we've looked at this. And this is the reason we have been spending three weeks on this subject. We need to understand prophecy so that it's not, we're not confused by it. We're not afraid and fearful of it but also so that we desire and pursue it. Look at 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Especially that you may prophesy. Earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. That's the cliff notes there. Earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. Now here's a paradox of Scripture. It's not helpful as a believer to just refuse to believe that there are paradoxes in Scripture. There are. I'm not saying there's contradictions. There are paradoxes. There's antinomies. There's things that we look at and it seems on the surface like they conflict, but God is bigger than what we see. And so here's the paradox related to this idea of earnestly desiring the gift of prophecy. It's this. If the Spirit of God is sovereign in His dispensing of the gifts, then why should we be earnestly desiring one of them? He's going to do what he wants to do. He's sovereign. He's going to hand them out the way he wants to hand them out. So why would then Paul say, earnestly desire this gift? Like, pursue it. Long for it. Intensely want it. Well, to me, I don't have a problem with that. You see, if the Spirit is sovereign in the dispensing of his gifts and he's the one that wrote the New Testament, inspired it to be written inerrantly, and he in that inspiration said, earnestly desire the gift of prophecy, then I can earnestly desire it and then leave it up to him, trusting him to give it to me if he wants to. I don't see a problem with that. It's not a conflict to me. On the surface, It might look like a paradox, but he's sovereign and in charge, and he tells me to earnestly desire it. 
That's why I'm going to earnestly desire it, and I'm going to trust in His sovereignty on whether He'll give it. Does that make sense? So here, let's end with this then. How to pursue the gift of prophecy. I hope you've seen here that as we painted the picture here of the gift of prophecy, that it's not something spooky. I, I, I'm, I talk with someone between services that have seen this really grossly abused and just wants to run from the subject. If we look at it as it's given in Scripture, it's not done in chaos, it's done in order, it's done in love, it's done in humility, it's done to bless, it exalts Christ, it's subservient to and tested and weighed with the Scriptures, not inerrant but fallible. That's a lot. I mean, it's not the same. They're not the same gift. It's like the gift of preaching, right? I'm not an errant. I want you to test what I say. I want you to check it with the word. It's subservient to this. I always want to exalt Jesus Christ and lift him up. I want to say what I say with deep conviction, but in humility and in love. So, how do we pursue the gift of prophecy? I'm just going to give you four things in rapid fire here. Number one, pray for it, but let me give you a caveat there. The statement says, earnestly desire, especially the gift of prophecy, so earnestly pray for it. Take that earnest desire for it to prayer and earnestly pray for the gift of prophecy. I've been praying as I've been studying. I've been praying for this gift of prophecy even while I'm preaching that the Spirit of God would make known to me things that I haven't studied, I haven't prepared, give me insight, enable me to speak a very apt word to people that are here as I preach, and I'm going to continue to be praying that for my life as I preach, but not just as I preach, as I go about my daily living. I want to speak into people's lives that which will help them, a timely word from the Spirit that I may not even understand. It's just a glimpse for me, an incomplete picture, but from the Spirit spoken to them, it can be life-changing, transformational, encouraging, upbuilding to them. So pray for that gift. Secondly, use the gifts that you have. If you're asking for more gifts, like the gift of prophecy, and you're letting the gift or gifts that you have lay dormant and you're not using them, I mean, I'm not saying that Spirit of God isn't sovereign and He might do that, but I'm also, with my human wisdom, saying, well, why would God give me more if I'm not even using what He's given me? Now, I don't mean it's merited. I don't want to make that leap because that is unbiblical. It's a gift of grace. But God also is sovereign over the means by which He gives as also as He is over what He gives. So I'd say use the gifts that you have. It's an important truth right here. Number three. Be content with the spiritual gifts the Spirit of God gives you. Now, notice what I said there. I didn't say just whatever gifts you have, be content with that because the Scripture says earnestly desire 
spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So I didn't say just be content with what you've got, but here's what I did say. Be content with the spiritual gifts the Spirit of God decides to give you. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing. He sees the end from the beginning, the entire picture. It's his church. He's moving him forward. He knows how to distribute the gifts. Trust him. Ask as he tells you to. Pursue and desire as he tells you to. But whatever he chooses to give you, be content. Don't be looking over at your neighbor saying, oh, I want that. I envy that. I wish I was like them or like that. No, you have your place in the body. And you need to fill that place in the body. And then finally, how to pursue the spiritual gifts or the gift of prophecy. I love the way Lloyd, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this grow, you want the spiritual gifts, grow in the graces. Grow in the graces. Grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Grow in the characters of Christ. Make that your focus. Be committed to being a growing follower of Jesus Christ, becoming more like Him. Not that you'll earn them again, but it might be a means or a pathway by which the Spirit of God will entrust more to you, like the gift of prophecy or other gifts. So pray for the gifts. Use the gifts you have. Be content with what the Spirit decides to give you and grow in Christ-likeness or grow in the graces. Would you please stand as I just pray a prayer of closing over this body, Father? We talked too long already this morning of my fallible nature again, but I just commit it to you. Ask your spirit to do what you want to do, plant the truth in the heart. Give your gifts according to your sovereign will. Us to desire that which you want us to desire in the way of gifts and to use them in love to exalt Christ and to build others up, be it the gift of prophecy or any other gift. All done through the person and power of your Spirit. Thank you for your truth. Have your way with it. Do what you want to with it. In the hearts of these that you love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.